We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. All right. Well, today we're going to do something different than we normally do. And today I want to I want to share a, a little bit more from uh, my heart on uh, on 9/11. Um, you know, if you're here for the first time today, for, forgive me. You know, usually what we do is we just kind of teach through the Bible, and you know we're really really a Bible teaching church. But but today uh, there's just a, there's just something going on in our country that we really need to to be be made aware of. Because, you know, I love my country. You know, I was born here. Um, most of you probably were born here, or maybe some of you here, you, you know, you came later in life. But we're probably living in the greatest country in the history of the world. You know, uh, our country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And I think as a result of that, there's no doubt in my mind that, that God has blessed our country. And if I can be more specific that Jesus has blessed our country. You know, and here we are today, and we're looking back at 9-11. And, you know, when I think of 9-11, I don't know if you guys have seen all the media and the videos. And today I opened up USA Today, and I saw the top five, you know, articles there on my, on my iPad. I saw them all, you know, about 9-11 and remembering 9-11. You know, and I, and I thought, you know what, let's start off church service today with a moment of silence. Yeah, right. You know, what's a moment of silence? I mean, you know, if we're going to do anything, let's talk to the living God. You know, those people that died, those victims, those heroes that died, those soldiers dying for freedom in Afghanistan and Iraq, they don't want their names on a wall. They don't want people just to say, oh, I remember, you know, what happened that day. I mean, they want something to happen to our country. They want to know if they didn't die in vain. You know, and so I was thinking about remembering 9-11. I was thinking about our president. I was thinking about the mayor of New York and what a hypocrite they are. I was thinking about how what God wants to do in this great country and what 9-11 really was all about. And I thought, Lord, you know, I just know that there's more. That if we remember 9-11, especially for those of, those of us who are Christians and walk in the light and walk in truth, that it would be so much more than that. You know, I don't know. Most of you here are probably old enough. But you know, when you think of 9-11, it's one of those moments that's captured in time, huh? I mean, it's one of those moments. Most of us probably remember exactly where we were when we heard the news and we turned on the television. We can remember exactly where we were. We saw the footage of the Twin Towers burning and then, man, just we saw them fall. We saw that. We remember that. We can even feel it. We can probably feel it even now, the same feeling that we felt back then because it was one of those moments that's captured in time. 
We know later the Pentagon was struck. And then another aircraft heroically never made it to the terrorist target. And all these things took place on that day. In the end, thousands died, millions mourned, heroes rose. And we remember them, yes, and we're so grateful for the heroes. And we pray fervently for the families and survivors in our society. But here's the thing. You know, it's a a moment captured in time. And so now we are... Ten years later, and and what's happened? You know, what has happened to our world, to this country that we live in? I remember, man, I remember in the early days after that event, I remember how churches were packed. I remember going to church that very next Sunday and seeing people all around the walls of the church. I remember how God had gotten a lot of people's attention, how God has kind of stirred things up. People were afraid. Yeah, enemies had invaded American soil. Of course, we hope that it was more than fear that brought them. We were hoping and praying that they were hearing that God was calling a country back to him. You know, and it's not that God is necessarily the author of that event. God's not the one to blame for 9-11. You know, God's not the author of evil. He's not the origin of murder and sin and catastrophes. But here's the thing, and we know the way it works. At times, God allows them, and he weeps over them with broken hearts, over the choices that we've made, which really are the true causes of calamities. One of the worst being the choice that we often make that we do not want God in our life. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. I hope you you haven't. I hope you never will. But maybe you were one of them. Those rebellious children that move out of the house, a house where there's the love of God. You know, and they, they, they move out. And what happens? You know, they rebel and they live a life of unrepentance, they suffer, they suffer the calamities, the catastrophes, right? It's kind of like that. When someone says, I don't want God, and they move out of the house, that's going to happen. And that's kind of what happened on 9-11. We saw the wall of protection from around this country, a country that God has blessed from its very inception, and God allowed our choice to be honored And God allowed us to be struck on our soil. I'm not saying that everybody in this country doesn't want God, but by far most don't. And as a result, we suffer these tragedies. You know, in my research and going through different things in 9-11, I watch videos and, and just read articles and messages and media and all over the place, talk to different people. And, you know, we heard messages, maybe you've heard messages of honoring the heroes of remembering the families. And and those are great things, true. But you know what? I think if we leave it at that, we've done a disservice to those who died. I mean, they would want more than, hey, remember me, mention my name. Every single one of those who fell, the 3,000 that fell on that day and every thousand that's fallen in the war since for the fight for freedom, every single one of them would fly back to us and tell us that the one thing that we need to do is come back to the Lord. Every single one of them. And I think if we remember 9-11, that that's where we need to be. 
And so I was asking the Lord, God, where should we go with this? Where does 9-11 really lead us? It was a big blow to our country that you allowed to take place. And one thing I know about God, and that is this, that he never, ever allows pain without a purpose. You can take that one to the bank. I know there are many of you here today who have gone through calamities. You've gone through trials and heartaches and difficulties and experiences that have caused you the greatest pain to the deepest part of your heart. But the one thing that you've got to understand about God is He never allows those pains without great purposes. And I believe that's true personally, and I believe that's true nationally. That when those airplanes struck those towers, those people died. That God wanted to do something great for this country. You know, I was listening to one uh, thing on YouTube. It was this mom. She was in, in, the, in the Twin Towers, and she knew she was going to die. And so she called home and she left a message. She said, this is mom. I'm not going to make it home, but I want you to know that I love you. And I think about these people that went through that and the pain that we experienced. And then I look back now over the 10 years and I realize, Father, the purpose for the pain has not been realized. We as Christians, we've got to fight for our country. We as Christians, we've got to be like Elijah. Or we're going to see him as we study today, going through a man who wanted truth in the land. You know, some people, they'll ask the age-old question, well, how could a loving and sovereign God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? Have you guys ever heard that story? They did a survey, the number one question that the world asks, that atheists ask about, you know, so-called Christianity. The number one question is, how can a loving, sovereign God allow bad things to happen to good people, okay? So those of you who come to Calvary Chapel Almani, you need to know the answer like that. And here's the answer. That's not a valid question. <laughs> Let me tell you why. There are no good people. There aren't, okay? The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, there's none good, no, not one. We were conceived in sin. And so the better question is not how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people. The real question, you've got to turn it around. How can a holy God allow good things to happen to bad people? You see, that's where it needs to start, first of all. You see, it's not a matter of bad things happening to good people. We can't even think along those lines. And so you go to the next question. Okay, Manny, let me ask you another question. Why do bad things happen to bad people, okay? And why are there bad people to begin with? I mean, God's perfect, right? Why is it that we live in this world that we live in? And the answer to that is a very simple answer. It has three letters to it. Most of you probably know the answer, right? S-I-N, sin, right? That's the reason. 
I mean, we go around, a lot of times we blame God for things. And you know what? We're the ones to blame. And you're like, hey, it's Adam. He's, you know, it's, he's, he's the fault. Listen, if you were there with Adam, you would have ate the apple as well, right? You guys are probably worse. You probably would have ate it a day earlier, I'll bet, man. And we don't even know for sure it was an apple. It's probably a juicy, juicy, luscious nectarine or a mango or... I don't know what the Bible doesn't say specifically it was an apple. All I know is this, that sin is the reason we suffer the calamities and catastrophes. It was never God's will for pain or punishment, tears and fears, senseless suffering, never. Death and devastation, that was not God's will. But ultimately it was ours. Why? Because we chose all these things. And here it is, you guys. We continue to choose those things whenever and wherever you sin. It's a law of the Lord that whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Understand that just like Adam and we suffer the consequences of his sin, then it happens now. See, that's why bad things happen. You know, Adam Adam did it as a representative in Genesis 3. And according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sin then entered the world, death entered the world. You see... If you're here today, we need to know that that's really what's taking place. Uh, sometimes you hear people say, well, if God you know, knew this was going to happen, then why did he even start it to begin with? You know, And I mean, God could have just you know, made us all not sin, couldn't he have? And the answer is yes, he could have. Did you know that? He could have made us all not sin. We would be called robots. And that's what we would be, right? And you program the, the robot to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Does that mean anything? No, we are human beings created in the image of God with this amazing power that we have. It's a free will to sin or to obey. You see, and that right there has a price to it. You see, God gives us a heart. He gives us freedom. He doesn't want us to obey in a mechanical way. He wants it to come from the heart. And so we have these calamities and catastrophes. Whatever you do, don't think along the lines that bad things are happening to good people because that's never true. Remember, God's not the author of evil. We are. We've chosen to sin. And so as a result of that, our world has fallen, our bodies are broken and dying, we die. But here's the cool thing, that that's not the end. Because even in a broken world, there is beauty. Even in this limitless world of crazy and ludicrous things that are taking place, there is love. Even in suffering, there is this thing that God does that turns everything around and he takes ashes and he turns it into beauty. See, and that's what God wants to do with this whole 9-11 thing. The amazing thing about God is that He can take calamities and catastrophes. And even though, yes, there is a price to be paid, He can take that pain and give it purpose. And that's really what I pray would happen as a result of 9-11. It happened personally, but it happened nationally. And that's where we see this whole thing where it needs to be. You know, I mentioned earlier that God didn't author 9-11. He allowed it. But that if He allowed it, man, that you know what? He wants it to get our attention. He's got great purpose for the pain. And so in looking at that, let's just go from that direction. What if God wanted to get our attention? 
if God wanted to get our attention through this whole calamity that took place on 9-11, let me ask you a question. Did he? Did he? For us as a country, I think he did for like three weeks, huh? But that's not long enough. I think God wants more. You know, in looking back, I think he may have reached a few people for a few weeks, but just as time is a test of all things, apparently it wasn't real. And so now here we are, 10 years later, and fewer people are attending church service. God is being ostracized. In almost every area of our national and political life, the mayor of New York does not want prayer in this Remembrance Day. And so this is where we've come after 10 years. It seems to me like the very purpose and opportunity presented to us by God to seek after Him for comfort and salvation and blessings has only been ignored. Here's what happened. If you can visualize this, we have gotten worse over the last 10 years. Imagine the alarm clock going off and you don't wake up. Has that ever happened to you? (laughs) Okay, imagine the alarm clock going off and you hit the snooze button. Has that ever happened to you? Imagine the alarm clock going off, you don't wake up, then you do hit the snooze button, then it goes again, you pull it out of the, the wall and you throw it on the other side of the room. You know, and that's what's happening to America. But here it's worse, it's worse, it's worse. We're sleeping, we're sleeping, we're sleeping, and we are dying in our sleep. That's what's happening to the United States of America. How old are your kids? What kind of world will you leave them in this country? You know, my kids right now, my son's 15, my daughter's, I wish I could keep her 15, but she's going to be 18 pretty soon. They can be 28, 25 years old, you know, getting ready to start life and they're going to start their own families in 10 years from now. What kind of world will I leave them? In 10 years, things have gotten worse. You know, and we all have to search our hearts. How about you? Has your relationship with the Lord grown deeper? You remember what happened in 1 Kings chapter 17? If you can, read the story, but let me just tell you a real quick synopsis. The northern kingdom of Israel, they were in idolatry. Um, They always worshipped the calf. That was always a sin that they never, ever were able to overcome But when things got really bad, it was worse under the reign of King Ahab. They worshipped the God of Baal, right? And so this guy Elijah is a man with a nature like ours, just like all of us here. He began to pray. He began to pray. Okay, and I want to really ask you today, how is your prayer life? How is your Prayer life. And let me ask you another question. How long will you continue to make excuses for a sorry prayer life? We really have to search our hearts. Some of you here are doing good. I thank God. You're praying like you should be. But a lot of you here are not. And that's where we're at. First Kings chapter 17, Elijah came in, he burst onto the scene. He said, King Ahab, it's not going to rain unless I say so. And then boom, he split, right? And King Ahab is all, what's that guy all about? You know, he's dressed kind of funky. He smells like he's been eating, you know, grasshoppers or something, man. 
who is this guy? But he probably just blew it off. Ain't no thing, right? Just some guy who's just a little nobody. I don't know this guy. He's got no chariot. He's got no horses. He's got no money. He's got nothing. He doesn't even have a family. He's just one man. But you want to know who Elijah had? He had God on his side. And what he did is he would pray. He would pray with his head between his knees pray. And for three years, it didn't rain on the land. For three years. And what he did was he got serious about the Lord and one man impacted the whole country. And God began to do a work. You know, the prophets of Baal were later slain. The, you know, God of Baal was later defeated. Elijah's ministry didn't die. He passed it on to the next guy called Elisha. And God continued to do a work in the nation of Israel. Even though, you know, everybody has to make their choice. Here was a man that was living in a time like we're living. And he did the right thing. And I think this is where God is calling us to be. You know, I think rather than remembering 9-11, we're burying 9-11. And the reason is, for some strange and cynical political reason which really has its heart in being anti-God, it's done an eternal disservice to those who have died. Let's take for a moment, you guys, our reaction to 9-11. You guys, let's look at that for a second. Okay, boom. Um, Islamic terrorists fly their plane in the North Tower. begins to burn. The South Tower begins to burn. They eventually collapse. We hear about Islamic terrorists overtaking another plane, heading towards the Pentagon. Doesn't do a whole lot of damage. And Flight 93, you know, thank God for these heroes, man. They brought it down there in Pennsylvania. But see, the common denominator in all these planes was the Islamic terrorists. They were there on every plane with a plan. I was talking to a guy after service, first service. He told me that some of them were training in Almani Airport. Think about that for a second, you guys. Right in our own backyard. What if we were praying? I wonder if anything would have been different. All I know is that when you look at the common denominator, you know, we got to kind of replay our reaction to the whole thing. Now, the immediate extremist reaction to an Islamic terrorist attack would be what? Target Muslims, find scapegoats, wipe them out, let's unleash our frustrations upon them, right? That would be the immediate reaction when the pendulum swings to one place. And I don't know, maybe we did a little bit of that. I'm not sure. I do know that Afghanistan harbored Obama, Osama bin Laden, sorry, and (laughs) Afghanistan harbored him, and they would not let him go, right? And they trained terrorists there. And so, you know, the whole war in Iraq and Afghanistan, there's some validity to those things, you know? But we've got to make sure that, you know, the pendulum swings over there. Okay, we want to avoid that. And so now the pendulum has swung to the other extreme. And now we live in a country where what? After 9-11, the irony is so amazing to me how now I can go to my El Monte City Council meeting and pray in the name of Allah and not Jesus. Now they are not tolerated. They are favored. After 10 years, this is what's happened to us. Now, see, our thing is we've got to make sure that we avoid extremes. We've got to make sure we approach these things in a biblical response. You know, in looking at these things, I think that we need to make sure 
that we understand where we're at. You know, for us, you know me as a pastor, I don't get political. You know, I don't really get a, a whole you know, lot in political, but this is spiritual. This is a spiritual issue. This is our country. This is our country that we love, that Jesus built. Christians. I know you love yourself, man, and I know you love your family. I pray you love your church. And I pray you love your country. This is where you are. This is where God has stationed you. And we need to fight this good fight. We need to realize where we're at, that now we're friendlier than ever politically with the Islamic world. We're now welcoming them with open arms socially, spiritually. And even though, yes, we've killed Osama bin Laden, there's no doubt that that day on 9-11, a day that Osama bin Laden masterminded, may have been the greatest victory against America after all. For we are a country that at one time had a Christian heart and we no longer do. You know, we've turned our face against Jesus and we've embraced these other gods. I can still hear our president lying to the American people. I love George Bush, but he lied to us when he told us that Islam was a peaceful religion. And the truth is it's not. And I want to share with you a few things about that. I want to give you guys just a few things to take away so that today my prayer is this, that in remembering 9-11, so much pain, so much pain on that day for our country, that that pain would then transfer into purpose. And that we as Christians would rise and respond to this whole thing the way that God originally wanted us to respond. Now, we need to know where we live in. The Bible talks about the sons of Issachar. Do any guys ever heard of the sons of Issachar? They were men who understood the times. They understood the times and the things which Israel ought to do. We need to understand the times that we're living in because if you go and you stick your head in the sand and then your kids and they grow up and they live in a world, an Islamic world, because you did nothing about it, because you didn't pray like Elijah prayed. I know you'll be sorry. See, we need to understand the times that we live in and we need to make sure that we rise to the occasion. You know, just to clarify the statement, you know, if you take the Quran at face value, that's the Islamic Bible, so to speak. It's not real big. It's about the size of the New Testament. If you take it at face value, what you find is that it's not a friendly religion. It's not. Yes, there are some verses in the Quran that speak of peace, and that's in the beginning stages. But later, when Muhammad grew powerful and he had a military might, he then gave us the 164 verses that advocate jihad. I'm not talking about one or two or three or eight or 20 or 40. I'm talking about 164 verses in the Quran that advocate violent means to impose their religion and bring the rest of the world into submission. Okay, that's the world that we live in. This is the Islamic Bible. 
And so what ends up happening is our politicians, they tell us, and you turn on the news, the media, and they tell us what? That these are radical extremists. When in reality, the truth is this, and you've got to understand this. They are conservative Muslims. They believe their Bible just like we do. Because there's 164 verses that tell them it's okay to strap bombs on yourself and go into a place with innocent civilians and blow them up. They're against suicide. The Quran does teach against suicide. Unless it's in jihad. At that point, suicide becomes martyrdom. You see, that's what their scriptures teach. And so what ends up happening... I don't know if you guys read the news yesterday in Afghanistan. 77 American soldiers were wounded by who? A suicide bomber, right? Today in Iraq. Today in Iraq, the spiritual leader of their nation commanded his fellow Muslims to not target American troops, to allow them to withdraw from their holy land unless by the end of the year they're not withdrawn. If they're not out of their country by the end of the year, he says, then escalate the violence against them. Now, this is not their general. This is not their president. This is their spiritual leader. Now, fast forward. You've got mosques and properties being built in the United States of America. And guess what they're preaching? According to a study that was done this summer, and I can give you all the paperwork on this, humanevents.com. Look it up yourself. 80% of the content in the mosques in the United States of America advocate violence against Jews and Christians. And so what's happened, you guys? We've turned our back on the Lord and we've not only tolerated this religion, we're now favoring this religion and God is calling us to, to be real. We know that Jesus was a lot different. What did Jesus tell Peter? Put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will what? Die by the sword. But we have another sword, huh? We have the word of God. What else do we have? We have prayer. And as we begin to seek the Lord in these areas, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. When we begin to get serious about our Christianity, beginning with one man like an Elijah... Who knows what God can do? If you care about your kids and if you care about your country, we need to take these things seriously. You see, Islam is not a peaceful religion. And Muhammad himself said this, if somebody, a Muslim, discards his religion, kill him. (laughs) Kill him. You see, not only did Islam spread by the sword, but Islam maintains itself today in many countries by threatening what? Death for males or life imprisonment for females for any Muslim who converts to another religion. And so today we live in a world with 36 countries that are ruled by Islam. And in any of those countries, if you're a man and you convert from Islam to any other religion, they kill you. If you're a female and you convert to any other religion, they put you in prison for the rest of your life. And so Islam is a peaceful religion. I don't think so. If you go over to these countries and you evangelize them and you proselytize them and you tell them about Jesus, they don't even have to get saved. If you do that, according to their Quran, you can be executed. You should be, he says, crucified. 
cut off your hands or your feet. He says it doesn't matter. That is their disgrace in this world and a heavy punishment is theirs in the hereafter. But our president tells us that it's a peaceful religion. You see, the fact is no Islamic republic or nation governed by Islam espouses religious liberty. No, not one. I'm going to quote to you a verse from the Quran. Don't go reading it, but man, just in case you get somebody that wonders, Quran, okay, Surah 839, it says this, Make war on them until idolatry shall cease and God's religion shall reign supreme. And so keep making war on them until what? We bring them into submission. There's again 164 verses of jihad in the Quran. Quran 929, it says, Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, even if they are people of the book. That's what? The Jews and the Christians, right? Until they pay the tax and they are in the state of submission. You see, what I'm trying to say, and I'm not trying to give you what they would call Islamophobia. I'm telling you this, that we need to be like sons of Issachar. And we need to understand the times that we live in. We're not going to do what they do. We're not going to you know, not love them. We're not going to look down on them. We're not going to be afraid of them. We're not going to be violent with them. We should never be any of that. But we've got to pray. And we've got to be seeking the Lord. And we've got to understand that if we love the Lord and we love this country that He's given us, we've got to fight on our hands. We've got to war on our hands. And if I could just say, you know, Elijah... You know, and I'm not Elijah by any means, but man, I remember when Elijah, he threw his mantle on Elisha. That's what we need today. We need Elijah to throw his mantle on us so that we can understand that that's the type of war that we're in today. And we need to pray. We need to fight with spiritual weapons. You know, it's one thing to make war, it's one thing to fight, but suicide bombers, how do they justify that? And again, there are some Muslims that say, oh no, no, we don't want any of that, but we see differently, don't we? You know, one guy said this, Islamists consider suicide not just legitimate, but highly commendable when undertaken for reasons of jihad. Going into war, knowing with the certainty that one will die, they argue, is not suicide, but martyrdom. A much-praised form of self-sacrifice in the path of God. A way to win the eternal affection of honors in paradise. And that's why when one of these guys, he blows himself up, that's why his little brother is so happy that he says, I'm going to be a hero too one day. That's what's going on, you guys. One leading Islamist authority recently explained the way it works by saying this, Attacks on enemies are not suicide operations, but heroic martyrdom operations, in which the kamikazes act not out of hopelessness and despair, but they're driven by an overwhelming desire to cast terror and fear into the hearts of the oppressors. In other words, here it is, Islamists find suicide for personal reasons abominable, but suicide for jihad, admirable. Manny, are you trying to scare me? No. What I'm trying to share with you is this is the world that we live in after 9-11. These are the times that we live in. We need to understand them and then what? Respond appropriately. I know it's hard to swallow because most of you have been fed the food of the world in the midst of a society that wants so much to be united and wants to be tolerant, politically correct, and willing to lie. 
to us in order to say, guard us from panic, right? But that's not of the Lord. The ends never justifies the means. Unless we realize this now, just praying and hoping that it's not too late, our great country, probably the greatest country in the history of the world, a nation that was founded on God's word, will be lost. You know, I know some of you here like baseball, right? Well, some of you here don't. You're like, no, it's too boring. Okay, well, just check it out, man. It's the ninth inning. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. And you're up to bat. You are. What are we going to do, you guys? Man, I pray that God would capture our hearts. After 9-11, we not only tolerate Islam, we favor Islam. Now in America, properties are being purchased and mosques are being trained. Americans are being deceived. And we need to wake up. Man, I pray, you guys, that we would rise to the occasion. A lot's happened in 10 years. My question is, what will be the place in 10 years from now? Let me just give you real quick three things in light of 9-11 that I think that we can take away because we're going to hear so much about this from the world. Let's listen to what the Lord would have us to come away with. Number one is this. Let tragedy be turned to triumph by turning to Jesus Christ. Let tragedy be turned to triumph. How? By turning to Jesus Christ. Look what it says, if you would, over in John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Jesus said this famous verse. If you don't know it by heart, I I encourage you to memorize this one. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, you go through hard times personally. We've gone through hard times nationally. And Jesus said, you know, because of sin, because of the fallen, broken, wicked world that we live in, you're going to have tribulation. But, he says, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. I was talking to a young mom the other day and I said, listen, I know this looks so hard and it's tough. And the things that you're going through are things that we just don't understand. But I want you to know this, that God gets the last word. He really does. And as we go through these difficulties, we need to hang on to the promises. We don't live by explanations. We live on promises. And God says, yes, in this world you go through hard times and struggles, but man, stay focused on the Lord because I tell you what, I have overcome the world. You know, the same sun that melts the wax, it hardens the clay. And so when you go through the hard times, it's so important that you stay focused on the Lord lest you drift away from the Lord. You know, I'm reminded of this mom. I remember the story. It's an amazing story. She had a beautiful young teenage daughter. 17 years old, filled with life. I mean, beautiful kid. You know one of those amazing kids? Kind of like my kids, you know, one of those, right? (laughs) 
Kind of like your kids. You know what I'm talking about. These amazing kids filled with life and love. They're always smiling, always bubbly. They're so consistent in their personality. She was a beautiful young daughter and she loved the Lord. Oh man, she loved the Lord. And she would always tell her mom about the Mom, you got to get your life right with the Lord. He loves you so much, Mom. You don't need to party. You don't need to do all that stuff. He loves you, you know. And it's this amazing thing how much this young girl died. And then one day the mom got the phone call that her beautiful, beautiful daughter had been shot and killed. So what do you do with that? Well, some people, what do they, I don't want any part of this God. If this God's going to allow this to happen to my daughter, some people say, I don't want any of that. But you know what she did, man? She ran to God. And in light of the trials and tribulations, she turned to Jesus. And I'm telling you this, and I'm not exaggerating by any means. That same love and life and joy and peace went from her daughter into the mom. And I'm telling you this, I saw with my own eyes what an amazing transformation took place. Because God can take those ugly things that we go through and we stay our eyes fixed on Jesus he can bring out beautiful things from, from the ashes, right? I mean, that's what the cross is all about. The most horrendous event in the history of man in which we killed God. We crucified him. We nailed him to a cross. That event right there does what? It washes away your sins. You see how it works? The greater the battle, the greater the blessing, the greater the pain, the greater the purpose. Especially when we do what? We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. First thing is this, man. Let those tragedies be turned to triumph. How? By turning to the Lord. Second thing I really want to encourage you guys today. I know some of you here, you're not like all patriotic. And you're not all like, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Even though you should be. You really should be. But I do want to ask you this as a Christian. Claim this country for Jesus Christ or move out, okay? (laughs) Let's do that. We're here. We want to serve the Lord. Let's claim this country for Jesus Christ. You're like, well, how are we going to do this, Manny? Well, let's go over to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 to another verse that you should probably memorize as well. Because look what it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and do what? Heal their land. Is it too late? No, it's not too late. It's two outs and there's two strikes. But it's not too late. It's not too late. Claim this country for Jesus Christ. How? By living the life, man. By humbling yourself, getting on your knees, putting your head between your knees, getting on your face and repenting, turning from your wicked ways, seeking God with everything that you are so that God can forgive us and that God can heal us. Let me say something real This is really clear. I want to say this really clear. I am telling you the truth that if we seek the Lord, 
God will rain down mercy upon us. See, we need to turn to the Lord in the midst of these tragedies and trust in Christ. That's what we do when we go through the trials. We need to claim this country for Jesus, but not with physical weapons, but with spiritual weapons. I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to do my best to do this. I am going to do my best to do this as a pastor, as a brother, as a Christian. Can I ask you to do the same? Let's make that commitment to the Lord today. Because this is the reality of the country and the times that we're living in. And you are up to bat. This is real. And the third thing is this, man. That on that day, it's a lesson for us all. You know, they're on their you know, way to work. Maybe they stop at Starbucks. And they got a skinny vanilla latte. They got a copy of the Wall Street Journal. They were listening to K-Wave on the way in. Or maybe they were listening to one of those bumping stations. I don't know. And they go up to whatever it is, the 37th floor, you know, the 57th floor. They didn't know that that was going to be their last day. And that's really what God wants us to live in, light of the Lord's eminent return, with an understanding that You know, we don't have tomorrow guaranteed, guys. Right now, right here, we got to get our lives right with the Lord. How many of those people went to hell? You're like, well, 3,000 died that day. And you know what? That's a huge number. Did you know that 250,000 people die every single day? And did you know that one day you're going to die? We don't know when. Here we are in church. It doesn't look like a church. You guys look like a church. And we have this opportunity that if there's anybody here that's not right with the Lord, you've got to prepare to die right now. Jesus died for you. He died for you on the cross. And you've got to make a deal with Him. Give Him your heart. Just turn from your sins and trust Him. And if you do that, you stop running from Him. But if you do that, and Jesus said, when you die, you'll be with him in paradise. You know, that beautiful scripture in Psalms, it says in chapter 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How old are you, if I could ask you? I won't ask the ladies, I'll just ask the guys, how old are you? I know what you would say. You'll say, oh, I'm 63 or I'm 47 or you know, some of you might even lie. I'm 27 or whatever, you know. I don't know. But we, we actually are unbiblical. God doesn't say, so teach us to number our years. He doesn't say that. So repent. God teaches us what? To number our days. I'll tell you where I'm at. 16,363. My son figured it out for me today, factoring in all the leap years and all that stuff. And here I am. I don't know if I'm going to have 64. I have today. Today I know what i got to say. Today I, I, I know where we're at. I know what I want to be with my wife and my kids and, and this beautiful congregation that I'm allowed to share with. I don't know if I have tomorrow. So I beg you, I plead with you, don't allow this national pain 
to go without a purpose. I don't know. I don't know how long we have, but I do know this, that God loves us and God wants to get our attention. And I pray, you guys, that He really would. I pray that we wouldn't die in our sleep. And Father, we thank You so much for this beautiful country that we live in. And Lord, I see the gods that are invading our land the Baals, the Ashtoreths. Lord God, I see. And I, and I see, Lord, some of your people, but not all of your people, being Elijah's. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would grip our hearts with an understanding that we're up to bat, that we've got a responsibility to react in a way that would honor you and even honor those who died. And so, Lord, help me to pray like I should, to obey, to live my life in light of this changing world. I pray that we would make a U-turn back to Jesus where we belong. We love you. We thank you so much, Lord. And I pray for everyone here, Lord, that we all right now would submit our lives to Jesus Christ. And for all of us here, there are different things that are going on. I pray, Father, please save lives and sanctify hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have communion now. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.